We are, as I said, on our second and final week of our stewardship ish, uh, series called Trust Issues. And uh, the, the premise behind the, this sermon series is that oftentimes we don't give or we're not generous people because we have trust issues. We, 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 we don't trust God to be who he says he is. We, we don't trust he can do what he said he can do. We, we're not, we don't trust him in a lot of ways, so we kind of hoard the gifts that he's given us because we don't want to relinquish that to God and, and trust him in those things. And, and so we've kind of been walking through that. And, and I know preaching about money makes people feel awkward i used to feel awkward about it myself uh preaching it now i I, uh you know it's just gonna be surprising to you but i love preaching it you know if you're a guest you're like i knew it you know uh i always say this little uh kind of precursor because typical my typical attitude that i hear from guests maybe you haven't checked out church in a long time uh maybe you're you know it was just a, a feat God moving mountains for you to even be here uh but a lot of people will say see churches are only about your money we strategically will preach stewardship twice a year, and then we preach it as it comes in the Bible, in, in the text. And, uh, and there's, there is no one probably in this room that gets more frustrated at pastors preaching for manipulation of money than I do. Like, I, I get so upset at pastors that, that have PhDs, Pentecostal hairdos, that... <laughs> that get on TV and say, hey, if you sow a seed of faith, you're going to be a millionaire. Or, or if you just give to the kingdom of God, God is going to bless you. And what translates as the kingdom of God is a bigger house, a jet plane, or whatever. And, uh, and, 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 and so uh, th- that's not what's happening here, okay? Uh, there's no staff member in this church that their house is going to be on MTV Cribs, right? Uh, th- there is no, you know, I, I always talk about my truck. You know, when, I, when it finally dies and I have to buy a new one, I'm not going to be able to do that. So I'm going to take advantage while I can. I, I drive an 05 Tacoma that's got 265,000 miles on it. I, I'm not, yeah. Yeah, it does have spinners, though. Uh, I'm just kidding. Just not, some of you are like, what? No, I mean, we, we, we preach this because it's for your good and God's glory. We don't preach these things because we're trying to build our own kingdoms or get rich off of you. I genuinely believe that, you know, generosity, giving is a huge barometer for the spiritual health in your life. And in our culture in particular, that greed, the enticement of money, the love of money has a way of wrapping its tentacles around our hearts and, 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 and suffocating us spiritually. And so what we want to continue to do is use God's word as a sword to cut back those tentacles so that we can be a people that are generous as our God is generous. And that's exactly what I want to, to, to preach today and show us today. And we're going to look at Second Corinthians in a moment. But we are to be as our God is. And is there anyone more generous than our God? He has been faithful to you and me he has given us all we have he's given us all we need he's he's provided for us he he has always been with us and even if we were to strip all those things away he has given to us his own son that was slaughtered on a cross so that our sins could be atoned for he has given 
his son as a free gift that we could have not not just our sins acquitted and paid for but but also be given the righteousness of christ so that when we stand before god that we stand there as holy as christ was holy these are great gifts given to us by our God. And if we've learned anything about him, is that he is generous. And if we know God, he makes his people as he is. So as we walk with him, we become more like him. As we behold him, we become more like him. As, as we walk, at, we, we are commanded in 1 John to walk in the same way in which Christ walked. And so God is generous. Therefore, his people should be a generous people. And uh, and so 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 money is kind of a an indicator of one indicator, not the indicator, one indicator of spiritual health. And, uh, you know, in our culture, it's easy to talk the talk, but not walk the walk. Right. It, it's easy to to keep a front as if you've got it. Uh, you know, you, you, you are spiritual person. But, you know, oftentimes our wallet calls us a liar. We're not a generous people. I want to read to you Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. As a great encouragement to you, if you think just a little more money will make you happy, satisfied, fulfilled, you are chasing an empty dream. It will not fulfill as you need fulfillment. It will not satisfy as you need your thirst quenched. It will not. And so, you know, it's, it's why, you know, you hear the interviews of very wealthy people. I forget who it was, the very wealthy, wealthy individual. They said, how much is enough for you? And they say, just a little more. <laughs> Because th- th- that, if you're chasing that, you always just want more. If you're if you're satisfied, if that's what you think your satisfaction come from, you only want more. Last week we talked about you can't love or serve both God and money. That ultimately you'll betray one to serve uh, the other. And uh, and and and, and I want to read to you First Timothy six ten says, "For the love of money, the love of money, is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving." that some of us have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. These are but a few texts that link our soul and money. Jesus taught about money a ton. Um, and, and, and so we can see that obviously what we do with the gifts that God has given us, be it money, be it our talents, be it our children, be it our homes, be it our jobs, be it our health, whatever God has given us, what we do with it, uh, is we can kind of gauge where we are uh, spiritually, gauge where our spiritual health is. Um, this is kind of an old, older statistic, so um, it may be worse than this now, maybe better, I don't know, but uh, a little bit older statistic that I found that uh, in the churches in America, only 2 to 3% of people within those churches tithe. Only 2 to 3% uh, within those churches uh, tithe. So tithe is obviously a kind of a dirty word for most Christians, you know. Um, and, uh, and, and but you know, we talked last week about uh, the importance of the tithe, the principle of the tithe. We also talked about that God owns all that you have anyway, right? That 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 God doesn't need your money. 
right? God's not up in heaven like, hey, Holy Spirit, I really want to, uh, you know, do something with that orphanage out there. How much money do we have? Right? He's not doing that. How much, how much money is First Boynton giving me uh, to, to be able to accomplish the work I want? God spoke the universe into existence with a word. He doesn't need your 20 in the plate. He's not after your money, but your money is so connected to your heart, and that's what he's after. It's what he's after. And, and so we understand that God, the giver of all things, can, doesn't need our money. He can do whatever he wants to do. But what we do and how we feel about our money reveals whether or not he has our heart. And that's what we're after. We're about spiritual faithfulness. We're about spiritual growth. We're about honoring him with our lives. And, um, and, and I think generosity is commanded i think it's a a, um, a a a product of people that are saved and so i think that's what we're going to see in the text today so second corinthians 9 uh let's let's dig in starting in verse 6 and we're going to see in this passage why we should be generous and, and what happens when we are 6 through 11 for this the point is this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Let me stop there. A couple of points. First, I think we see here that giving motives matter. Giving motives matter. Um, the text again, verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Um, okay, so what he's saying here, here is that the heart of the true believer doesn't say, okay, fine, if this is what God wants from me, fine, I'll just do it. That's not what he wants from you. That's not, that, that's not a cheerful giver. Uh, and this isn't just money either. There are, many of you, there are many of us that serve like this. Fine. If I have to go rock a baby, I'm not going to do it very joyfully though. Right? I mean, like, like, all of our giving and generosity can come with some level of compulsion or reluctance and 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 what what paul is saying here to the corinthian church is that god loves a cheerful giver that, that we're not to give out of compulsion or, or, or reluctance that 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 our heart should have great joy in giving now now what does this mean it means that for the believer our submission is is, is not a begrudging submission it's not that it's not it's not 
give me the list of rules, and I'm going to try to keep the list of rules. That's not the heart of a believer. The heart of a believer begins to step in to understand some very great, larger truths about God, not just what is my to-do list, but instead, who is God, and what is he making me to be? And we know God to be a generous God who has slayed his own son that I might have life and righteousness, and beyond that, he's given me abundantly, been faithful to me, he's taken care of me, he's provided for me, and so out of the joy of the generosity and the worship of the great God that I'd love and worship and adore, have it all. What how, here? You see the difference between you have to do these rules and look at how good God is. Don't you want to walk with Him and walk as He walked? And this is the difference between a heart that is just trying to be religious and a heart that has been transformed by the gospel. Because a heart that's been transformed by the gospel comes to God and says, you've given me all I have. You've given me all I need. Take everything. It's yours. Take it all. I always find it fascinating when people use this verse to give or to serve less. They say, see, the Bible says if I don't give with a cheerful heart, I shouldn't give. That is the wrong application of that text. God is not saying, okay, since you give with a terrible attitude, don't, just don't give. No, that's not the point. The point is, if you give with a terrible attitude, you're not generous, you're not cheerful in giving, the issue is not your giving, the issue is your heart. So you come to God and say, God, I want to be a cheerful giver. I don't want the things of the world to be so enticing to me that it's hard for me to be generous to you or to people around me. It's not an issue of your giving. It's an issue of your heart. Are you generous? Do, do you hold everything with open hands? Okay, God, what are you calling me to give? What do you, what do you want me to do? And, and I, I want to be cheerful in that giving. I want to participate in the joy of the Lord by being generous. The second thing you see here is kind of, we, we alluded to this last week, but God has given us all we have. God supplies the seed. He supplies the bread. He, all that we have comes from Him. Everything we have. You know, if, it, it's the reason why... As believers, we sit before we eat a meal and we pray and we give God thanks for providing for us. And, and why we as believers don't just do it because it's a, a habit, we do it in genuine thanksgiving of God because we know without God, he we would not have uh, the, 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 the money we have in our bank. We would not have the job that we have. We would not have the health that we have to be able to work the job that we have. We would not have breath in our lungs to be able to have the health that we have, to work the job that we have, to have the money that we have to buy the food that we have. And so we sit before the table and we don't presume that we have done anything to put that there. But were it not for God, He has given us abundantly. And we thank Him. All that we have all that we have has been given to us by him i gave this example last week i'm gonna give it again because it's so good my kids um you know if we were to go to the store and ask for 
they ask me for a bag of M&M's and I give them a bag of M&M's I buy that for them and they and, and then all of a sudden I see them eating them M&M's and they look delicious to me and I say hey could I get some M&M's and my kids say no and I say to them oh yeah and I say who bought you those I bought you those. Now give me some M&M's. And I could take those, I could snatch those M&M's out of there. They would cry, I wouldn't care. This is justice, right? But if they continue, they say, no, these are mine. And I'll say, listen to me. Your benevolent father who loves you so much, I could walk into Publix and buy family size M&M's. I'm that rich. I could buy five bags of family size m and and I can make it rain m and <laughs> And you squabble over five to ten. This is the same thing with God. He, he owns it all. Everything we have, we've been given to us, has been given to us by Him. They are gifts from Him. And that I would argue they are be, to be used to his glory, to his mission in the world. Everything that we've been given. Lastly, in this section, I think we see that generosity fuels good works. If you, if you go back to verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So your giving fuels your good works. Your generosity is one of the primary ways in which you are in the game when it comes to being a part of the work of God. Your, Your generosity, yes, financially, your generosity with serving, your generosity with all things in your life. It's how we get in the game. Uh, you know, basketball season's here. I like basketball season. I like football season better, but I, I, I do like basketball season. And, uh, you know, one of the teams that always fascinates me is Duke. You know, if you watch a Duke game, you know, you have the Cameron Crazies, right? Now, I know all my Kentucky fans are going to boo and hiss, but, uh, you know, because they hate Duke. But if you watch a Duke game, They've got fans. They're called Cameron Crazies. It's Cameron Indoor Stadium. And if you watch it, the games are nuts, especially big games, right? Uh, they'll jump for half the game. Their faces are painted. You know, half, half the student section doesn't have clothes on. I'm like, what in the world? Uh, you know, and it's like they're, they're going nuts. But here's the thing about the difference between being a player and being a fan. Uh, the fan shows up just before the game. They scream, yell, whatever, and then they go home. But they weren't there when the team was running sprints. And they weren't there during the two-a-day practices. And they, they weren't there uh, when they were doing layup lines and, and, and practicing pick and rolls. They weren't there. They weren't a part of it at that point. Um, and, and, and if they're watching at home, you know, here's what a fan can do. A fan, it could be the biggest game of the year. You know what a fan can do? They, you know, if they're, let's say they're, drink, they're sitting on their lazy boy, you know, and all of a sudden their drink gets empty. They just pause it and go refill their drink or eat another chicken wing. Right? It costs, this is costing them nothing. They're just watching. They come back and hit play. 
Or let's say their team loses. Oh, they'll be angry. Ah, that's terrible. But, you know, they just get up, go to work the next day. It's not a big deal. Or let's say that team continues to lose, right? Then apathy sets in, right? And, uh, and it's like, ah, I just, I just don't care about these things anymore. Uh, see, there's a vast difference between someone who's a fan and someone who's in the game. I'm always shocked when someone says about their team, well, we fought a hard one last night. Oh, you're 67 and 250 pounds. Are you, you did what? No, we, we played a good game. No, no. No, no, you're 5'2". You didn't play basketball. Um, so, so you know, but, but, but we, we, we think we're invested, but really, you're not. I mean, you might buy a T-shirt, you might buy a season ticket, but you'll watch it on TV. But the reality is you are, on, you are in the game. The ones that are in the game are the ones that have invested their lives, their time, their practice, their blood, sweat, tears, the, 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 the joys of victory, the, 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 the just defeat. They have been in it with their team the whole, whole way. They are, they are on the team. And what makes the difference between someone's on the team and off the team is what they have put into it. What they've put into it. And the same thing goes in the church world. See, uh, oftentimes people want to be a part of the work of God, but they don't want it to cost them anything. But the reality is the primary way in which we are contributing to the work of God and the gospel advancing in the world is the generosity of our lives, whether it be resources, yes, but time serving in outside the church, you know, laboring, that we're generous with the gifts that God has given us. That's how we're in the game. Those out not in the game, or you know, they'll, they'll be with the church as long as the church is winning. And if the church starts losing, they'll, they'll bail out and go to something else. That's the difference between a fan and, a, and someone who's in the game. And my desire is that everyone that contributes, that, that is a part of this church, would be a part of the game, would be in the game in some capacity that you would be, that you would get in the game. And we see that that, that that generosity is what is, moves us to be a part of the work of God in the world. All right, let's read on. Verse 12. Verse 12 says this, For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and, your, and, and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Uh, the last point, and there's going to be probably several subpoints of this, but is uh, we give for the glory of God. We, we give for the glory of God. I want to direct you again to verse 13. It says, By their approval of this service, they will glorify God. Why will the world and other people glorify God? Because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. So, play this out. The world, other believers, the church, 
will we'll be moved to give glory to God when? When the people of God walk in submission to God, we, we walk in obedience, we're generous, we, we do the things he calls us to do, we walk in submission to God, and we're able to walk in submission to God, not because we worked real hard or figured it out or done all the right things, we walk in submission to God because of our confession of Christ Jesus, because we have believed the gospel. So when we come to faith in Christ, what happens upon that conversion is a regeneration of our hearts. And our hearts are no longer uh, set on, on the old nature, but it begins to be changed and progressively grows to be more like Christ. So a heart that has been converted then submits to God, joyfully submits to God. First John says that his commandments are not a burden for us. And when we submit to him in that way, the world glorifies him. And, and this, is, this is who we are as a church. We want to glorify God by, by delighting in him, by discipling his church, and by declaring the gospel to all people. This is what it looks like to be a believer that the gospel has so changed us that we submit to whatever he calls us to submit to joyfully. And because of that, glory is given to our God. I'm reminded of Matthew that says, let your light shine before men so they may see your good deeds and praise or glorify your Father who is in heaven. The way we get in the game, the way we contribute to the work of God, the way we're a part of his work in the world, we're gospel people who have been changed to submit, and, and part of that is generosity, so that the world might glorify him. A couple of things you see that happen when God's people are generous. First, um, these texts talk about that people's needs are met. People's needs are met. You, you know this. You've been generous. You've been able to meet needs um, in your family or, or you know, in your community, in your neighborhood, people that have been connected with you. But you see them talking about poor people cared for, hungry people fed. Um, Orphans are loved. Uh, this is part of the what happens when God's people are, in fact, generous and and um, even even generous beyond your tithe. That's when you begin. But I mean, your tithe too goes to different things for uh, generosity. I think about first care. I, I think about um, you know uh, you know we've been able to partner with Galaxy and we're feeding kids after school something. We're we're we're, we're trying to minister to the kids in our neighborhood, which is I think is a great. Uh, ministry Operation Christmas Child is a great one. Um, you know, supporting missionaries. These are ways that you are contributing and being generous, and 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 God is using that generosity to meet needs. But you you do that beyond that. I I know there's a group of ladies who, above and beyond their tithe, I assume. Um, we're feeding people for Thanksgiving, taking baskets of food and, and making baskets of food that looked awesome, and we're we're taking them to folks that need food. This is how God works through your generosity. Second way he works, also another way that he meets needs met through your tithe is, is, uh, is spiritual needs. The things that we're doing around here are learning the Bible, teaching the Bible, preaching the Bible, ministers that we've, we have on staff, all that is a part of meeting spiritual needs as well. And so you have that going on. Secondly, uh, what happens when God's people are generous is that people praise God. People praise God. Uh, I think about, you know, the times that we as a church have been able to minister, share the gospel. Obviously, that, genero that, 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 that the stuff doesn't happen without generosity. 
of the church. I think about the people that have contributed to like our benevolence and we've been able to meet needs in the community and what happens typically, they don't always necessarily come to Christ, but there is no doubt in their head that the people of God are generous as God is generous. So people are turned to praising God. So I guess in closing, a couple of thoughts. Are you generous? Are you generous? Are you generous with your money but are you generous with your time your talents your family your work are you a generous person are you a cheerful giver i find that a lot of people aren't generous because they're afraid particularly with money maybe with service too, or their talents maybe they're afraid to to use because they're afraid to fail or whatever i don't know but but particularly with finances that they're afraid they can't, maybe they can't they think they can't pay all their bills or they won't be able to go on the vacation they want to go on or they won't be able to buy the thing that they want to buy. And so they're afraid. Um, and and when, when fear and anxiety and worry governs life, uh, then God does it. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I was reminded, I read, this, I read this a while back, and whether it's legitimate or not, that's yet to be determined, but it still makes for a good sermon. Um, I read in the Peace Corps, there's a Peace Corps manual about um, people who uh, go to the Amazon. And in, in the manual, the volunteers that go to the, to, to the Amazon, it gives instructions on how to survive an anaconda attack. I don't need a manual. I just need to run, right? Uh, anacondas, a little bit about anacondas. They can be up to 35 feet long. They can swallow a 350-pound animal whole. Here's what the manual supposedly said. Step one, don't run. I'm dead. Step two, lie flat on the ground and keep arms close to your side and legs together. What they say is the anaconda is, is fast enough to catch you. I say let him prove it. <laughs> and what I've learned from this is I don't need to be faster than him. I just need to take a slower friend. <laughs> Greater love have no man lay down this life, brother. <laughs> so you're supposed to lay there. Step three, tuck your chin in. Step four, the snake will come and begin to nudge you and climb over your body. Step five, do not panic. <laughs> Seems like that should have been step one. I don't know. <laughs> do not panic. Step six, after the snake has begun to examine you, it will begin to swallow you from the feet end first. It always swallows from the feet end first, Permit the snake to swallow your feet and ankles. Do not panic. <laughs> Step seven. The snake will begin to suck your legs into its body. You must lie perfectly still. This will take a long time. Step eight. When the snake has reached your knees, slowly... And with as little movement as possible, reach down, take your knife, and very gently insert it into the snake's mouth between its mouth and your legs. 
then suddenly rip upward and sever its head. Step nine, be sure to have your knife. Uh, now, I don't know if I could escape an anaconda attack. I, uh, I hate snakes. Uh, it tells me not to run. I'm probably going to look like a bunny on Red Bull. I, I'm out of there. It's probably going to eat me, and that will be then. But you see, when you are full of fear, you don't obey the manual. And this is, this is what happens to Christians, too. We get so engulfed by the fear of the what if or the I don't know if I can or what if this happens that we forget the bigger picture of what God wants to do in and through us and so when we, when we let fear or anxiety or worry govern our hearts govern our lives we walk contrary to God's way particularly in these areas. And so we can't be a people full of fear. Another thing I think you see from the passage is the principle of you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Matter of fact, uh, Tim Keller goes as far to call this an absolute principle of Scripture. He said it underlies the entire book of Proverbs, this idea of you reap what you sow. Let me read you some Proverbs. Proverbs eleven eighteen, The wicked earns deceptive wages, but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. Proverbs 22, 8 and 9. Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, and the rod of his fury will fail. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Reaping what you sow is a huge theme throughout scriptures. Now, praise God, salvifically, we have sowed what we haven't reaped. But when it comes to our obedience to Christ, we, we, we reap what we sow. This isn't just to money. Uh, this goes into all areas. You, what you sow into your mind, you will reap with your life. If, if you spend no time in God's Word, thinking on things that are above, beholding the beauty of Christ, you will reap a life that has no vision of Christ, who, who can't endure suffering, who, who gets so bent out of shape, out of the smallest of things, and ultimately, a mind that is not transformed in the image of Christ. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow with your homes, what you allow in your home. You, that is a, a form of sowing, and you will reap you will reap what you've allowed into your home. You are not reaping what you haven't sown. Everything that you are reaping, you have sown. 
I think about, I read this study a few years back on uh, Lifeway did this whole analysis on, on kids and, and students who uh, walked faithfully with Christ beyond their youth days, beyond their college days. And it talked about, and I remember one of the highest things on the list of families that their kids walked with the Lord uh, for all those years was uh, just Christian music, being a part of their normal lives. That they were sowing in the truths of God's word through song into their families. Uh, again, not foolproof, but it's an, it, it, it points to the reality of you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. You, you reap what you sow at work. You're lazy. You, you're going to sow no respect, no raises. You, 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 you sow to the good, of course. You're going you're gonna to reap reward there. You, you reap, by and large, you reap what you sow. You see this all throughout Scripture. You see it again in the negative when you participate in sin, you're sowing into your own heart an appetite for sin, a craving for sin. You're, you're sowing into your heart desires for sin, and you will sow a heart that is in love with things that aren't holy. You will reap what you sow. And it creates in you an appetite for more of that. You, you reap into your life the word of God, you're going to grow an appetite for more of it. You reap into your life sin, you're going to grow an appetite for more of it. And that's how appetites work. They want more of what they, what they want. Appetites don't go away. You're about to eat a gigantic Thanksgiving meal, right? Uh, but it will be a few hours later, maybe a day, that you will be hungry again. You, you will finish that meal and think, I will never eat another bite of food. As long as I live. But you know that's not true. Because that's how appetites work. Uh, and, you know, for me, I load up at lunch and then I'm ready by dinner, right? Leftovers. This is how appetites work. What you sow, you will reap. What, what you're creating an appetite in your own life for these things. So, in closing, what, what, are, you, what are you sowing in your life? Are you sowing a life of generosity? Are you generous with all the gifts that God has given you? Are you generous with all the gifts that God has given you? He's, he's blessed some of you to be a leader. He's blessed some of you to teach. He's blessed some of you to serve. He's blessed some of you to give. He's, he's, are you being generous with all the things that God has given to you? Some of you are called to pray. Are you, are, you, are you being generous with all that God is doing and giving to you? Are you participating in the reap what you sow reality? If you are not where you want to be, I would ask you, what have you sown? You didn't get where you are accidentally. Godliness is not something you accidentally fall into. Are you in the game? Are you sowing the scriptures into your heart? Let's pray together.
Father, there is no doubt that uh, we will reap what we've sown. And God, I pray that our church is further made like our God, which is generous. In all things. In a lot of ways, I'm preaching the choir. We have a very generous financially church, but God, I pray that you would continue to have our hearts, that we would be cheerful givers, cheerful in our serving, cheerful in the ministries that you've given us, cheerful in our in all the ways that you've called us to give. And Father, that we would be a, a people that because of our cheerful giving, the world glorifies you. The church is spurred on to love and good deeds and glorifies you. So, Father, there's really three kinds of people, I guess, believers in the room. There's the, the one that is a cheerful giver, is faithfully giving and serving. And I pray that you would encourage them all the more and that you would give them just fruit for their labor. You let them see the fruit of their labor. There's the, the person in here that uh, maybe gives out of compulsion or serves, you know, begrudgingly. I pray, God, that they would come to you and you would begin to change their heart to align it as a generous heart, one that models Christ who gave all. And then there's the one in here who is not generous. And uh, I would pray that you would, A, reveal to them, first, if they're a believer, for a converted heart continues to grow to be a generous heart. And secondly, if they are a believer, God, that you would move them to repentance and walking according to your ways. Father, we need you in all things, but we definitely need you in this. We don't want the world to have foothold here. We want all of our life, including our wallets, to scream, Christ is alive and God is worthy of worship. Help us to be cheerful in our giving. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Church, I